Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. watch streets of fire and i'm not happy about it <laughs> i wish we had done like a watch along for it because i don't remember at what point i think it was when like the title screen at the beginning popped up that said a rock and roll fable you went ah. <laughs> <laughs> i sighed really hard and then i said how long is this movie <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> It's 94 minutes. It's 94 minutes. A fast 94 minutes. I mean, sure. <laughs> I loved this movie growing up. I was a big Michael Perret fan because I <laughs> oh really like Eddie and the Cruisers. Mm-hmm. Eddie and the Cruisers was one of my favorite movies starring Michael Perret. And then this came out. I think that's the order that they came out. Um, I think so. This stars Michael Perret, Rick Moranis, Bob McKenzie. Yes. Rick Moranis <laughs> as a bully. I just want to get this out of the way first, just because this is my favorite thing about the movie. Michael Perret afterwards talks about how Rick Moranis kind of bullied him. (laughs) So here's the quote from it. uh, And this will be my Michael Perret imitation. Rick Moranis drove me out of my mind. There's this whole wave of insult comedy. In the real world, if someone insults you a couple of times, you smack them or you punch them. You can't do that on a movie set. These comedians walk around and they say whatever they want. I'm just not handy with that. Comedians are a special breed. They can antagonize you and say whatever they want. And you can't do anything to stop them. He's this weird looking little guy who couldn't get laid in a whorehouse with a fist full of 50s. He would imitate me. Uh oh. <laughs> the first thing he says to me is, Do you just act cool or are you really cool? It was the first sentence out of his mouth in Joel, to me in Joel Silver's office. And I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. But he was one of Joel's dear friends, and he ended up making a bunch of movies for Disney. I just wasn't that sharp. I wasn't ready for that kind of crap. I do like that he does admit that he's not that sharp. I mean, thank God for that. But honestly, it sounds like he was just trying to joke around with him when he first met him. And he got butthurt about it and was butthurt the whole rest of the movie about it. It could also be a compliment like, are you really that cool? (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like he's too dumb to understand when people are just goofing. Here's my thing. Maybe Michael Parade didn't understand the script. So when like Rick Moranis' character is going like, come on, you big dumb meathead. Michael (laughs) Parade's like, hey, you can't call me that. On the last movie I did, everyone was acting like I was a rock star. (laughs) 
It's like you were because you were Eddie Wilson you were from Eddie Wilson. the Cruisers. Yeah. And now this movie, he's just, uh, you know, he's saying that I'm dumb and I'm a meathead. I'm sorry. I have a hard time believing that Rick Moranis was an actual bully on any movie because everyone else who's ever worked with him has been like, he's such a nice guy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Have Yeah. Everyone has he's had lovely- He's the guy who retired from show business to be a full-time dad when his, his wife, wife died. His wife died, Yeah. yeah. Like, apparently he's like an angel sent from heaven. So I I just think Michael Perret is stupid and didn't understand when someone was trying to, like, be nice to him and meet him and be silly. Yeah. I just think he's dumb. And I do think it might have been part of the dialogue. And Rick Moranis was like, "Eh, they didn't really let me improvise on the movie set that much. And I wonder if it was because they were like, hey, listen, when you improvise, Michael (laughs) Perret cries in his trailer. I can see that being a like, we can't improvise because he won't be able to keep up and it'll just be wasted takes. Like, right. that whole thing doesn't make Michael Perret look like a victim. It makes him look like a stupid dumbass. You know, and here's the thing. Even watching the movie, which I do really, really, really like. Oh, my God. Um, Why? Michael Perret is not a good actor. Oh, no. He's terrible in it. As I was doing my imitation of him, his Rick Moranis <laughs> quote, I was like, oh, I'm putting too much emotion in this. Yeah. And I kept trying to dial it back because he was just like, we it's... broke up. Why do you want me to go rescue her? All right. It's I'm over. doing it, but I'm doing it for the money. Yeah, he just kind of reads his lines and, I mean, quick synopsis of the film. It's it's funny because you said, <laughs> I asked you before it started, what do you think this is going to be like? And you said you thought it was going to be like Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. And I was thinking, <laughs> no, it isn't. But then afterwards, I was like, oh, wait, this is exactly Barry Gordy's it Last Dragon. It is 100%, <laughs> except there's no like paranormal element. Right. Basically, this... Um, pop star gets kidnapped by a bike gang and her ex-boyfriend has is hired by her current boyfriend to go save her and last dragon is about a, a pop star that gets kidnapped, kidnapped by a gang and a reluctant hero who wants to be her boyfriend has to go rescue her yes yeah same thing yeah different cast mm-hmm. um i will say this about last dragon done better than this movie you really think so yeah i feel like at least in last dragon there was more to keep my attention and this was really dry and like there were things that happened in it that i'm like oh like willem dafoe in leather waiters and lipstick (laughs) and lipstick for some reason (laughs) who's who's the bad guy he's a bad it's he's literally the head of a leather daddy gang which was actually played by two real motorcycle gangs (sighs) it's ridiculous but he's walking around in seriously leather waders to like just cover his nipples and like <laughs> bright pink lipstick. And his uh, right hand man is Lee Ving from the band Fear. Yes. And right afterwards, I showed you the Fear set on Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live, Live, which was pretty insane, wasn't it? Yeah, because they're like, uh, they just sang like three different songs and they had a mosh pit up against the stage. And then the SNL audience is immediately behind them <laughs> freaking out because they're like, oh, my God, like this isn't what we signed up for. We <laughs> right. were just here to see some funny sketch comedy. We wanted to see Donald Pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> they all look horrified. Promote Halloween. The, pe- <laughs> the people in the front row are seriously like leaning back 
trying to escape because it's a legit mosh pit with people running across the stage, knocking shit over, jumping on top of one another. Well, fear is going. She don't like salami. She don't want pastrami. She don't want no chicken. She don't <laughs> want no toast. She just wants a double dose of my beef, 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 beef bologna. Did you just want to show how you know, know lyrics? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love fear. I bet you do. If you hear baby sounds, it's because I'm sitting right next to my yeah, son. Yeah, we're being very good parents. Yeah. <laughs> so if you hear baby sounds or toys, it's because my son is sitting right next to me. And one of our cats is sitting on the recorder where I'm just like, oh, I hope he doesn't... Uh... Turn it off. Hey, Benji. Hey, Bob. You didn't get to watch Streets of Fire, but you will one day. Oh, God. Here, why don't you take it? It has one? Ed Bagley Jr. in one scene. <laughs> Which was so he weird. You were like... Dirty homeless, homeless guy. guy? I who think so. Really, he's one of two characters who doesn't advance the plot at all. Yeah. Because even afterwards, Rick Moranis is like, I already knew this information. Yeah. And There's... then it also has E.G. Daly, e. Daly, Dottie from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, mm-hmm. who does nothing. She just shows up and she's like, Hey guys, I'm your biggest fan to uh, Diane Lane's character, who's the the pop star. Pop star. And then she just hangs out with them for a couple of scenes. And then she's like, okay, bye. Like, she does absolutely (laughs) nothing. (laughs) She literally does say, okay, bye. Okay, bye. And runs out. I'm like, what is... Her quote about making the movie was, I was really bummed out that I had a small role and I didn't get to sing. And Diane Lane was up there singing, Mm -hmm. which wasn't Diane Lane singing. It wasn't her singing, though. Which makes me wonder why they didn't just have E.G. Daly, like do the music for it because she can sing like yeah eg daily has like a song on the breakfast club soundtrack mm-hmm. and uh she's uh, i can't remember which movie it, it might be like pretty in pink or 16 candles mm-hmm. it's like one of those i, I want to say it's pretty in pink because i think it's at a school dance mm-hmm. where the band playing is fronted by eg daily okay yeah and i feel like eg daily would have been able to emote more than like diane lane was 18 when this movie was mm-hmm. made and she does a okay job but like maybe it's just the way that it was written she was very like one note well but it could just be the way that it was written yeah i mean she's has like three or four musical numbers on stage mm-hmm. and then she's tied to a bed while willem defoe's like kisses her and goes I just want to make you love me for like two weeks and then I'll let you go. Yeah, he's basically like, just let me rape you for a little while and then I'll let you go. He just says, I want (sighs) you to fall in love with me. Like he's not going to do anything with her until she falls in love with him. Gross. Like it's a Stockholm thing. It's disgusting. I just want to keep you tied up until you fall in love with me and And then then I'm going to dump you because my heart belongs to Lee Ving from fear. Apparently. Oh my God. It was so stupid. (laughs) It was so dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Because they abduct her in the middle of a performance at a huge concert venue. Like, she's on stage, and this motorcycle gang shows up in the back and just, like, parts the crowd and then jumps on stage. And they grab her and beat up her band. And it was shot at the Will Turn in Los Angeles. Yes, yeah. And then they just take off on motorcycles. But here's some trivia about it being at the Will Turn. The movie was named after Bruce Springsteen song, so I guess they originally shot like a musical number at the end, a cover of Bruce Springsteen song, and after he found out that they were just going to cover it, they didn't want his version of it, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, you can't have my song. Oh. <laughs> no, Bruce Springsteen's more like, oh, you can't have my song. And uh, <laughs> so they had to reshoot the ending. Like it was a super expensive movie to make. 
Oh, that makes it even worse that it bombed. <laughs> Walter Hill, uh, who did The Warriors and 48 Hours, mm-hmm. wrote and directed this. And he wanted it to be like a Tom Cody, that's the Michael Parade character, yeah, like trilogy. A, but like a recurring character. Not do well. Uh, you don't say. Also, there was a music video halfway through it. Yeah. Like, for of um, Diane Lane's character, halfway through it, just broke into a music video of one of her songs. Which also Last Dragon does twice. Which, it was so weird. And then also, I couldn't tell if it was the 50s or the 80s. Which I was thinking was very funny that first I made you watch Blood Diner, that also <laughs> had that, is this the when is 50s this? or the 80s? Yeah. And then... The next movie I chose takes place in 1950s, 80s also. Yeah, it was 1950s, 80s the whole time. Because it was like lots of neon, lots of like crazy hair. A lot of 80s synth pop and a lot of rockabilly. Yeah, but then like 50s style cars and like Michael Pere is for some reason dressed like a farm boy. (laughs) Even though he's he's a soldier apparently. He's a farm boy coming home and I don't understand it because he's from the city but is dressed like he's from the farm it makes no sense it's funny that you said soldier too because uh McCoy uh, McCoy played by I think Amy Madigan Mm -hmm. she is basically (laughs) Michael Perret's sidekick sidekick yeah and um, everyone's just like, oh, you guys were romantically involved? And she's like, no, <laughs> You're not I'm a type. soldier. <laughs> You're not my type. I'm a soldier, which we decided was code for lesbian. Oh, 100%. She, she kept saying, sorry, you're not my type. I'm a soldier. You can just say gay. Like, <laughs> it's okay. The uh, role was originally written as a Latino, hey, bud, male to be played by Edward James Olmos. Oh, but when Amy Madigan auditioned, uh, she auditioned for Michael Perret's sister. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, the better role is the sidekick. And they're like, all right, let's see what you got. And then they're like, yeah, you can be convincing as a, a soldier. As a soldier. <laughs> uh, another great cameo in it, Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton as the bartender. Yes. Oh, my God. It was neat because Bill Paxton around that time also plays one of the street gang guys at the beginning of Terminator that Arnold Schwarzenegger gets his outfit from. At the beginning of Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And around this time, Bill Paxton was a roadie for Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. That was a thing that I learned after he died. Because I think Mike Muir from Suicidal Tendencies mm-hmm. posted something about, oh, about Bill him. Paxton. Yeah. And um, it makes me like Bill Paxton even more, knowing that he you was know, a he roadie. This, and... Yeah, he had like, he was like, oh, I really like this skate punk band from Venice, so I'm going to roadie for them so I can go to shows for free. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of sweet. Oh, Bill Paxton. And then seeing him playing like a rockabilly punk guy in this and then playing a punk guy in Terminator is mm-hmm. just like, I bet those were his own, you know, yeah. wardrobe choices. It probably was like in. that he was yeah. kind of a punk, kind of a punk kid growing up and, yeah, you know, got to kind of live that out in a way, which is neat. Yeah. I really like that a lot. And then um, they also meet up with a doo-wop band, <laughs> yeah. continuing the 40, uh, 50s thing. And two of the guys in the doo-wop band are Robert Townsend, mm-hmm. who you know is a director, yes. directed like Eddie Murphy's Raw. He was a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michael T. Williamson, who played Bubba Gump. <laughs> That's right. Yep. It was um it was interesting the whole like it was so confusing the two acts together because it was like Diane Lane who is 100% like 80s like pop and then the duop band that's super 50s 
But for some reason, both sounds are relevant at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so confusing. And then uh, you, I thought where in the world was Carmen Sandiego would be in mm-hmm. your frame of reference, but it wasn't. But the uh, chief from that has one scene, too, as a subway yeah. uh, driver. So there is somehow a star-studded cast in this movie. Or people who later went on to do pretty big things. Yeah, no, that's what hap- That's exactly what happened, is that it was just a bunch of people who went on to do really great things and just happened, <laughs> just happened to be in this dumb movie together. It's a fun movie, though. It's- like, it's a very, like, efficient movie. Like, it moves really quickly, just like The Warriors does. Like, did you ever see The Warriors? I did not, know. Okay. Maybe I'll have you watch that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> the Warriors is a classic. Oh. But The Warriors is basically this <laughs> one street gang tries to get from one part of New York to another. Okay. And this is basically, let's go rescue the princess. This is Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> let's go rescue the princess and then uh, get her home. Blow up the Death Star. But in this case, the Death Star is Willem Dafoe. Oh, God. In a sledgehammer fight. Willem Daf- Okay, the sledgehammer fight at the end between Willem Dafoe and Michael Pere is so stupid because they are hitting each other with sledgehammers and acting like it didn't just shatter all the bones in their body. Right. How long do you think that scene took to shoot? Oh my God, days, right? Like days. Because first, the motorcycle gang shows up and they're like, we're here to fight. And they are up against all the cops who are like, not really down for the shenanigans. They're like, just get, can guys just meet up and take care of it? Because they're not going to listen to us. So the motorcycle gang shows up and they're like, we're ready to fight. And then Michael Perry shows up and he's like, all right, I guess we got to do this. And Bill Paxton's like, I'll be right back. And comes back with like everybody in town with rifles Mm -hmm. for some reason. It makes no sense. I'm like, where did all these people come from? A lot of expensive extras. Yes. So all these people come back. So it's the motorcycle gang versus... Well, it's not even the motorcycle gang versus all the town folk because they don't... No, no one does just, anything. They're just standing there right. like as backup in case shit goes down. So the whole movie just basically ends with a sledgehammer fight between Willem Dafoe and Michael Perret that did not take days to shoot. It took four weeks are you and it is the most it's stupid bland continuity errors in it like willem dafoe has a busted up face in one scene before he's ever even hit Hit in the the face face. michael perret wins spoiler alert and willem dafoe is like carried away like a ragdoll by the motorcycle gang which i find to be absolutely hilarious because he's literally like sprawled out against the back of like a dune buggy or something (laughs) and like What's what's the guy's name? Lee Ving. Lee Ving. Isn't Lee Ving like holding him, yeah. like cradling him He's as they drive away? with Lee Ving. He's leaving with Lee Ving and like cradling him. It's so dumb. I'm like, oh God. And they're and then everybody's like, hooray, you, you saved the town. But the cops are still like, you got to get out of here. Like you can't stay. I feel like one of the biggest things that irritated you a lot, and then it started to irritate me as soon as you pointed it out. This was shot in the same square on the back lot of Universal Studios as Gremlins and mm-hmm. Back to the Future. It's the same diner from Back, from to, the back to the Future. From Back to the Future, yeah, you can really tell. Um, the exterior of the theater is the exterior of the theater from Gremlins, mm-hmm. and it's where like the DeLorean drives, drives towards. Drives it towards, yeah. So it's very recognizable. Mm-hmm. 
once you're you know when if you've you know, been there for a few yeah time, yeah you you would know you so can for some reason uh and then uh walter hill also wanted it to look like chicago so they wanted to put in like a an l train but um <sighs> my god all the supports for the l train are in the middle of the street yeah they're they're not placed in any way that would make it look like you're in Chicago. Yeah, they're not on a curb at all. No, they're just plunked in the street. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, they right. didn't even try. Yeah. And also, everything blows up. Like, oh yeah, if Michael's, you touch Michael Perret it, it has a up. magical rifle that anything he shoots blows Explodes. up. Explodes. Yep. He also manages to, I guess, like use the butt of his gun to hit like gas lines that are up like big pipes in the air and then he shoots at it and it explodes a bunch of shit it's so oh my god their pyrotechnic budget must have been huge because everything is on fire everything is on fire i mean it's It's called streets of fire but like there's a point where they're like busting through a police blockade and so they just shoot all the cop cars mm-hmm. <laughs> and they all just catch on fire. They all just start exploding. I'm like, what the fuck? No. Yeah. This is not how it It is neat that like the whole movie, the town that they live in is Universal Studios. Yes. And then they have to drive through Chicago mm-hmm. to get basically 20 minutes away in, on the, I think it was like the east side or southeast side of Los Angeles yeah. for the warehouse district, which is where the motorcycle gang lives, <sighs> and then drive back through Chicago. To go back to yeah. Which apparently Universal. the studio was just like, Walter Hill, do you really need to shoot this in Chicago? And he was like, yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. You 100% didn't. I didn't know that the train was Chicago and not LA. I thought it was like the LA subway. Yeah. You really can't tell. Because like, I mean. There's like one driving scene where I was like, there's sort of like um, an underground um, little section like block or two in downtown Los Angeles where like um, one of the Batman movies was filmed. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. also looks a lot like Chicago because mm-hmm. a lot of the Batman movie, Dark Knight movies yeah, were shot in Chicago. Yeah, because it's like, you know, lots of kind right. of underground and there's like freeway yeah. crossings. Um, and, yeah. So like they could have easily shot it there because they don't do that much driving there. No. and there, uh, It's literally like two seconds. Yeah, because I, I said initially, I was like, oh, I think now they're in Chicago and then I second-guessed myself where I was like, no, because they were only in there for one. They wanted to driven all the way to Chicago and dressed up Chicago for one scene. And apparently they, they did. did. Yep. Waste of money. Huge waste of money. Waste of money. Yeah. So this movie bombed. Yeah. Oh, no. I loved this movie as a 12-year-old. Uh, I can see it as a 12-year-old being like, this is awesome because it's like explosions and like... There's that girl at the bar who's dancing. Oh, yeah. It's the body double for Jennifer Beals from Flashdance is uh, like a dancer in the biker club, Mm -hmm. which is like this hardcore biker, you know, gang is all dancing (laughs) to this rockabilly band. Yeah, they're all dancing to a rockabilly band. I really like the rockabilly band, like to the point that I found it on Spotify. Oh, God, of course you did. Of course you did. You're cute. I love you. Yeah, they're like a real band. That's cute. I really like the end band from Blood Diner also. That rockabilly band. <sighs> with that you, weird like sleazy yeah. P. Martini oh, yeah, looking yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you do like a lot of stuff. Don't I like you? rockabilly sometimes. I know. I know. But I don't like the cramps. And mm. they're probably like the biggest rockabilly yeah. punk kind of band. And I just couldn't get into them. I should revisit the cramps. Yeah, maybe give it another chance. You might like it more now. Yeah, yeah, and then they they there's like a brief titty. In, uh, yeah, you yeah. kind of see her like she's got like a whole fishnet thing on, but she's got like a thong. You were so mean. You were like, "How many times did you pause it there?" <laughs> it was well because I remember when we were watching Barbarella for the first time. <laughs> you were at the beginning where she's taking off her spacesuit. You were like, "The beginning of this movie eventually just didn't work because I paused it so many times." That's why I'm such a classic guy. Where I'm like, hey, baby, you want to watch this movie I beat off to? It's a very sexy movie, Barbarella. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's weird, but angels I get it. don't make love. Angels are I love. love. Uh, anyway, but yeah, you see like a brief boob and like a ton of under boob and like you can you see know, her butt so that's cool between this and talking about barbarella and then blood diner i'm realizing that my taste is not super great <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst I, the songs in this in streets of fire were kind of catchy and we found out afterwards one was written by Yes, we found out after one was written by Tom Petty. Tom Petty, and the other one was uh, written by Stevie Nicks. Yeah, which was and so... And the vocals were good. Like, I thought it was the person who did the uh, female vocals on, like, Meatloaf songs. Yeah. Because they all kind of reminded me of Meatloaf yeah. songs. Yeah, they did. Uh, but they they weren't. They were... I mean, the songs were good. The voice that did them was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Diane I was surprised Lane... that she didn't have more... Uh, I can't remember who did the voices, and now I'm holding our child so i can't look it up do but you want me to hold up i'm surprised that she didn't have more of a career like when i looked them up on wikipedia mm-hmm. like one of the biggest things they mentioned was oh and they did the soundtrack to streets of fire yeah like that was the biggest credit and i remember you saying like oh no this is like the biggest thing they did i'm like really because like yeah. they were really good maybe they did like broadway oh. stuff or you know something like that or i think they were like an 80s pop band and, oh i don't know, know then yeah. but they did um what was the final song? But that rockabilly band uh, is still around. It <laughs> looks like yes, good. Yeah. What is uh, What was the final song that they did? It was um, I can dream about you. That one, I loved it so much. Like they come out, the duet band comes out at the end, and they're like Billy the Fish's new act, um, mm-hmm. like Rick Moranis's new like big money moneymaker and they all come out and they're like i can dream about you and i'm like yeah i wonder if that was the hardest scene for michael Perret because at the end like he and rick moranis kind of make up yeah he's like hey rick moranis comes over and he's like hey man i'm not gonna stand in between you two if you want to be together and he's like yeah uh, it's not gonna work out i'm just gonna get out of town i mean i i kissed her in the rain i kissed her in the rain and then we had like wet sex that was very weird because like (laughs) walter hill basically said i wanted to make a movie that included everything i thought was cool as a teenager motorcycles custom cars explosions kissing in the rain neon like what you thought kissing in the rain was cool so there's like a scene where they're like kissing in the rain and then it immediately cuts to them just having had sex and they're still soaking, soaking wet. wet. 
like their hair, their faces. I mean, the covers are also like pulled up to their necks because like I think Diane Lane's only PG. Eight, yeah, it was yeah. PG, but also Diane Lane's only like 18. Michael Prey wasn't that much older. Oh, uh, she's still only 18. Yeah. Like Willem Dafoe's only like sweet baby 29 in this. He looks so young, though. Like I, I turned to Mike and I was like, like, I turned to you and I was like, oh, my God, is he in his 20s? And you're like, he's 29. I'm like, good God. He looks like a baby. Yeah. I love Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he's pretty great. He yeah. always does something crazy. And he looks insane in this movie. Like, seriously, the leather waders that he's wearing are so weird. I love it. There was uh, an interview recently, I think it was with Conan or whatever, where uh, they showed like an old clip of Willem Dafoe introducing himself in an acting class or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, um, hi, I'm Willem Dafoe. And... Uh, and Conan was like, so we've been pronouncing your name wrong for all these years? And Willem Dafoe was like, uh-huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's like, and he didn't, like, correct anyone. He's like, well, eh, you know, who cares? Holy shit, man. Willem Dafoe. Or His name is like Willem Dafoe, and we've been calling him Willem Dafoe. Everyone's been calling him Willem Dafoe. Oh. Well, he always plays Dafoe in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it be Spider-Man. Oh, he does. He is the foe, isn't he? In Platoon, he played Willem the Hero. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're fired from this podcast. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Oh, my so God. next week, uh, Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. I want to know what my next movie is. Let me look at my list on my phone. Because we had to go through and I had to be like, have you seen this one? Have you seen this one? And then I kept saying, damn it. So it's a lot of kids' movies, unfortunately. I feel like anyone who listens to this podcast will listen to every other episode. They'll either listen to all the cutesy episodes where they'll be like, ooh, I really like Homeward Bound. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, what was Wizard of Meh? Babes in Toyland. Babes in Toyland. <laughs> or they'll be like, oh, Blood Diner and Streets of Fire. No. Sweet. I gotta I... listen to, the, like, there won't be any crossover. It'll be like Star Trek movies where some people are like, you know, all the even number ones are good. <laughs> and other people will be no. like, no, it's the odd number episodes. No, I think I have one that's an adult one. Night at the Roxbury. Okay. That's a it's a it's an SNL movie, but yeah, that'll be an episode that no one listens to. <laughs> oh, hurtful! I loved that movie. Oh, anything with Chris Kattan. <sighs> Shut up, Molly Shannon's in it too. Okay, I like Molly Shannon a lot. Yeah, she's in it, and I mean Will Ferrell's in it, obviously. What if we found out that it's actually Will Ferrell <laughs> <sighs> and Chris Catton? I was like, no, Chris Catan. I'm so not smart. Uh, I love you. I love you too. All right. That was fun. So I made you watch Streets of Fire. Yeah. It was. uh, It got a 6.7 out of 10 on on, uh, IMDb, which you thought was generous. It, I'd say a five. I mean, honestly, it. If you like a lot of the like, you know, 80s cliches then it's fun i think it's a fun movie to throw on like at a party or something if you're like oh you know kind of have it on in the background and watch all this silly stuff because it's pretty ridiculous (laughs) but Mm. if you want to sit down and enjoy a movie this isn't the one to watch because i don't see my joey pants cast ever really becoming a thing my i wanted to do a podcast where it was a celebration of Joey Pants. I know. and Because um, Joey Pants is great in everything. Yeah. I feel like he's the best thing in any movie that he's in. 
and um, I feel like he could make any movie even better. Do you think you would like Streets of Fire more if Fish had been played by Joey Pants instead of Rick Moranis? I think I would have loved to see Joey Pants. Because, like, it just, like, Rick Moranis, you know, doesn't... He's definitely playing against type because he's playing a really unlikable record. Yeah, like a sleazebag. manager, just, yeah, sleazy. Yeah, and it's not like he does a bad job. It's just, I just don't see him like that. No. So it's it's hard to see him. He's also dressed like his character from Ghostbusters. Yeah, like he's dressed he's really dressed like nerdy. Lewis. Yeah, and you're like, like it's so it's hard to reconcile what he's saying with how he looks. Yeah. So well, Michael Prey grabs him once, or no, I think McCoy does, or someone grabs him. Someone grabs he's like, him. Hey, this outfit costs more than you'll make in a year. Yeah. No, that's not like it's just it's not that he doesn't sell it. It's just that it's so against type for him that it's hard to really. Yeah. Take it all in. So I think that Joey Pants 100% could have been a sleazy record producer and just crushed it. And then it would have been great because it would have been three people from Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah. Because the guy who plays Sal Amato mm-hmm. uh, has like one scene as a cop in Streets of Fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think um, Rick Moranis could have been in the movie still like as... What? Raven, Raven. Role. <laughs> No, I Rick think, Moranis. No, I think he could have been. I think he could have been the cop. Honestly, I think he would have been fine as one of the cops. Okay, because I feel like I could see him being like, "Guys, come on! Like, we gotta like this is my town, and you know, like he probably would have played it a little differently, but I think he could have, like, he could have played the um not the lead cop, but the his partner. Right, like he would have done a good job there. Yeah, and you know made it a little more memorable it wouldn't have been as good of a part obviously but i snarkily is that a word sure when you were thinking it was going to be like last dragon (laughs) i was going to say like nope because last dragon is a racially diverse movie and this probably isn't but this movie ended up being pretty racially diverse yeah i thought was pretty good yeah i like it that it um had a lot of black people in roles like the lead cop is mm-hmm. black and uh uh also the whole mccoy thing being a woman i i think is great and yeah there are little things like that that i think should be celebrated and are ahead of its time so okay yes i would agree with that yeah having the sidekick and arguably one of the toughest people in the movie is is mccoy who's a woman yeah which i think and is it, good it doesn't end with like michael praise decided like Oh, I don't want to hang out with the rock star chick anymore. Like they, like it's clear McCoy, they're not going to be like, romantic. Yeah, like, like they just take off together to you know fight crime together. Yeah, basically. But they don't like say, "Oh, you're the one I should have been with the whole time." McCoy. Yeah, they don't kiss. There's no like yeah. real like romantic she's a soldier. soldier. <laughs> There's there's no like romantic affection between the two of them. It's clear that it's just kind of like a camaraderie. It's nice to see people not always have to bang it out yeah. <laughs> in movies, you know? It isn't just as simple as they just said, oh, we'll just put a woman in this role. Like, they actually did rewrite it for her, where there mm-hmm. are a lot of, like, Rick Moranis is just like, eh, why are you bringing the skirt along? Yeah. So they address, like, yeah, this is kind of, yeah. you know, Different. not typically, you're not really going to see a woman in this role in a movie. Yeah. So... So that is kind of cool. And yeah. I would say, like, it's a fun party movie, but I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't watch it again. <laughs> I just talked myself. I, I don't know if I talked your score higher, but last night I said, I'd give it a 7.6 7. 6 out of 10. But uh, I think I'd move it up to uh, 
a solid eight because of all the McCoy stuff and uh, my score remains at a five. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm sorry that I'm just a little bit more woke than you. All right. Well, that's cute that you say that. Anyway, it was a fine movie. It just it wasn't a good movie. <laughs> a five is a failing grade. It's fifty percent. Hmm. At least there's effort there. It was better than that chips bullshit. All right. Oh my so. god. <laughs> no one made you see that. All right. No, no one made you do it. Agree to disagree. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you next week when Allison makes me watch Homeward Bound. Woo. Legend of Curly's Gold. No. <laughs>